Amen. Welcome once again to Arise Baptist Church. Feel a little different. I've had a costume change and everything else. We're back here. Uh, it's not a show. I just uh, didn't want to preach too sopping wet this morning. And we're glad that you're here with us today at Arise Baptist Church. And wasn't that a blessing to see God's people following Him in baptism this morning? Let's give the Lord praise for that this morning. And I just want to take just a minute and give some good news about the good news. It was a blessing yesterday to join with about 30 folks from our church out in the community. Several families worked from their own homes. Some came and met us here and went out and be able to share the gospel with people. And I heard many wonderful reports of people that got to share the gospel, that got to invite people to church, got to meet people and encourage them in the Lord yesterday. Even met some brothers and sisters in Christ that we didn't know that we had yesterday. And so it's a blessing to be a blessing to people, and there's wonderful good news about the good news that way. Anybody else have a good news testimony to share this morning before we go on? Something that God did, maybe an opportunity to share the gospel that God gave you this week? Tell somebody about the Lord. Anybody? All right. Yeah, James has one. Brother-in-law, and uh, we had the opportunity. We talked Friday night, and um, just had a really good chance. He's he's working on uh, sharing the gospel with some of his coworkers, so we had a good opportunity to just talk about that and how he can continue to grow in that. Amen. That's wonderful. Wonderful to be able to study God's word and encourage others in the Lord. All right. Well, I am thankful this morning to be able to introduce some special guests to all of you. Uh, they were in our first service and now part of our second service as well. This is the Martin family, and uh, they're missionaries going to Mongolia. And that's a long ways from here. I'm going to let him tell you more about their ministry, and they've got a video presentation to share with us this morning. But I hope that you'll be praying as you listen and praying even as we go forward about what the Lord might have us to do, maybe even to be a blessing to this family today. If you'd like to give to them in our offering at the end, you could do that. And in the future, we're praying about supporting them and, and supporting their ministry as they head over to Mongolia. And if you remember last year, uh, Brother Luke Shelby was with us, a missionary to Kenya that we've supported really for since almost the beginning of our church. And, and I've known him much longer than that and supporting his family there and their ministry. Well, this is, are you the oldest daughter or second? That's what I was thinking, the second oldest daughter. And uh, this is new wife and new couple and all these wonderful things. They came here on their honeymoon today. I don't know if you know that. They got married a week ago, and uh, so we're excited for them. They were honeymooning in Galveston, though, and when we talked on the phone, he goes, you know, we'd probably go to church somewhere today. And I said, well, why don't you come to Arise and share with us what the Lord has done? And so we're thankful that they took their time. I know newlyweds and on honeymoon, this isn't maybe when you want to be around everybody else, but thanks for being around a bunch of strangers today <laughs> and letting us rejoice with you. And so, Brother Jeremy, why don't you come and share with us uh, what the Lord has for you in ministry, and then we'll show that video here in just a minute. I will say this, uh, you mentioned being around a bunch of strangers. It's on a honeymoon, I'd say it's easier to be around a bunch of strangers than a bunch of people you know anyway. So uh, I, I did talk to Brianne before telling Pastor Cobra for sure I would come, and she was okay with it. And so anyhow, uh, my name is Jeremy Martin, Brianne Martin, and uh, uh, my wife, uh, as of last Saturday, as he mentioned. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be here. I'll share a little bit of my testimony very quickly. I'll, I'll try to be uh, not too long with it, and then we'll show the video. The video will explain a little more of our ministry that we get to be involved with. 
But I was born and raised uh, near Tullahoma, Tennessee. Went to Bethel Baptist Church in Tullahoma, Tennessee. And uh, my pastor brother, Jim Rowland. And my parents were not in ministry. They weren't preachers or missionaries or anything. They were just laymen that believed in raising their children in church. And I'm very thankful for that heritage. And uh, I was saved at my church's vacation Bible school, uh, June 17th, 2003. I was seven years old. And I thank God for saving me that day. But as I as I uh, got a little older over the next few years, I knew that uh, God had something for me to do. I wanted to serve God, but I didn't take the time to ask God what it was that he wanted me to do. I, I was trying to do whatever I wanted to do for God. And, and I know as a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old boy, that wasn't that much. It wasn't that big of a deal. But I was trying to serve God in my own strength. And it doesn't matter your age if you try to do what you want to do for God. If you try to do it in your own strength, you'll fail miserably at it. And I knew I wasn't getting anywhere in my walk with God, and I, I, I was struggling, and, and I was too stubborn to ask my pastor or my parents about it. Uh, but when I was 14 years old, one of my best friends, he, he invited me to come with him to a youth camp. I had never been to youth camp before, so I said, sure, I'll go ahead and go. It sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, what I didn't know was God was about to change my life drastically. Now, uh, the first and mo most important decision I ever made was to be saved, to accept Christ as my Savior. But but the second most important decision I've ever made in my life, I believe, uh, happened at youth camp that year. The, the Monday night of youth camp, we just got there, and I was just uh, settling into the camp. And we had a service that night. The preacher got up, and he preached a message on surrendering your life to God and, and giving it all to God. I, and that was one thing that I had not done. I'd been saved, but I never asked God what he wanted me to do with my life. And that night I went forward, and I surrendered my life to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't know what it is, but I want to follow your will for my life, no matter what that is. A week later, the Lord took me up on that. He called me to preach and uh, scare me to death, but I wasn't going to argue with God right after surrendering my life to him. I knew that uh, after surrendering, I had to obey God, and, uh, and, and in the end, it was a privilege to obey God, and he called me to preach, and over the next few years, as I prayed about what God would have me to do with my life, where he would have me to preach, how he would have me to preach, what it was exactly, what ministry he wanted me to be involved with, he began to show me what he did in my heart as a teenager. And he began to burden my, my heart for youth ministry. I knew I wanted to be involved in youth ministry somewhere, somehow. And I saw what God did at youth camp. It was the perfect environment for God to work in my heart. Now, God can work anywhere. But at youth camp, I was having a lot of fun. I was out of my comfort zone. But I was able to get away and, and, and pay attention to what God wanted for me to do. And so I began to get a desire to work in a youth camp, to serve in a youth camp somewhere. And uh, at the same time, so I knew youth ministry and youth camp, but at the same time, some of my family and friends had gone on mission trips, visited different missionaries around the world. I had never done that. And so I began to have a desire to go on a mission trip. I, I wanted to see the mission field and see what God was doing around the world. And so uh, just after that, shortly after that, in 2012, uh, a missionary came to our church in Tennessee uh, from Mongolia, missionary to Mongolia, Mickey and Trina Kofer. And Brother Kofer, he was standing up there presenting his ministry just like I'm doing today, and he started talking about starting a youth camp on the mission field in Mongolia. And the Lord burdened my heart. That was exactly what he'd been dealing with me about. And I wanted to go and see that youth camp and help them start the camp. So I spent two and a half weeks there in 2013. And I knew I had to go back. In 2014, I spent the whole summer there, two and a half months, and helped them and actually got to see the start of the Bravehearted Youth Camp in Mongolia. Over the next couple of years, or over that summer, I should say, the Lord began to deal with my heart. Uh, more and more about full-time ministry in Mongolia, but I wanted to know that God was calling me to Mongolia because uh, when you're on the mission field, when you're involved in a ministry, there's a lot of emotions, and you can get very excited about what God's doing, but excitement does not necessarily constitute a call to that specific ministry, and I knew that surrendering my entire life to serve God in Mongolia would be a big deal, and I needed to know that I was called of God, and 
I prayed about it, and the Lord, uh, I, I, the Lord dealt with me more and more about it. And in 2015, I stayed here in the States, worked at a youth camp, and about the third week of camp that summer, uh, the Lord brought back that burden from Mongolia like never before and made it clear to me that, t- that, that night that uh, God wanted me to serve him in full-time service in Mongolia. I began Bible college that fall. I moved to North Carolina and uh, joined Anchor Baptist Church. Anchor Baptist Missions International uh, is my sending church and sending board, as well as Anchor Baptist Bible Institute was where I went to Bible college. It's all three in one church there in Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, and Pastor Randy Barton. And uh, I began deputation, tra- traveling and raising funds to go to Mongolia shortly after, after uh, graduating Bible college. I've actually spent each summer since 2015 in Mongolia helping with the camp. But uh, in February of this year, I went to uh, Bible Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Arkansas, just a mission conference. I was there to raise funds for the ministry. I had no idea what God was putting together, but uh, while I was there, the Lord allowed me to meet Brianne. I met her dad a year, be- a, a year before that, and I don't have time to tell the whole story, but he'd been praying for a year that God would bring us together. And uh, the Lord put us together without his help. Brother, Brother Shelby was in Kenya, and uh, he had nothing to do with it. Or very, I should say very little to do with it, but uh, the Lord put us together, and, and it's an amazing story. I'm very thankful. Her parents are missionaries to Kenya. Her grandparents are missionaries with the Rock of Ages prison ministry over in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so she's going to be a third-generation missionary. I'm very excited for that. and I'm very privileged for such a heritage. I don't deserve that. Uh, the, the, the Lord is, is, has been so good to me. But before we show the video, let me share my life's verse with you. Isaiah 6, 8. You've probably heard it before, but in case you haven't. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. If you study that chapter, Isaiah was just a servant of God, just someone who surrendered his life to God. And, and I want to challenge you, especially the young people, but really anybody in here, if you've never asked God what he wants you to do with it, your life, if you've never surrendered your life to God and said, Lord, I'm yours, he purchased you, by the way, if you're saved. He purchased you. You belong to him. So I challenge you, give your life to God, and he'll use you. You'll turn around in the future and be amazed at what God has done with your life. I'll let them go ahead and show the video and explain a little more about the ministry, but I'd appreciate your prayers. We have some prayer cards out there on the table. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it, uh, as somebody said this morning, on your bathroom mirror, wherever you'll remember it. Uh, and and uh, I would appreciate your prayers every time you see it. Thank you so much. Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. The splendor of the wilderness that spaces over 603,000 square miles is also known as the land of the blue sky. Mongolia is more than twice as big as Texas and nearly the same size as Alaska. Mongolia is located at the top of the 1040 window and is landlocked between Russia and China. The Mongols gained fame in the 13th century when under Genghis Khan, they established a huge Eurasian empire through conquest. After his death, the empire was divided into several powerful Mongol states, but these broke apart in the 14th century. Today, many Mongolians still live the life of a nomad living in yurts and following their herds throughout the countryside. As Mongolia is becoming more involved in the scene of the current world market, Spiritually, the people continue to dwell in darkness. Mongolia is the birthplace of shamanism. 90% of the Mongolian population follow a mixture of Tibetan Buddhism and shamanism, while the remaining 10% follow a diversity of different faiths or claim no faith at all. Only 2% of the population claim some form of Christianity. 
My name is Jeremy Martin, and this is my wife, Brienne. We are sent out of the Anchor Baptist Church and Anchor Baptist Missions International in Pisgah Forest, North Carolina. I was raised in Normandy, Tennessee, and was saved at the age of seven years old at my church's vacation Bible school. Brianne grew up as a missionary kid in Kenya and was saved at the age of 11. I have made multiple trips to Mongolia and have been involved with ministry there since 2013. I surrendered to full-time ministry in June of 2015. We will be working alongside veteran missionary Nikki Kofer in the village of Hatful, Mongolia. Our goal is to establish an uttermost outpost for the gospel and to see souls saved. The pattern we find in scripture is to plant local churches that can reach their communities. God has given us a threefold plan to see churches planted, not only in Mongolia, but throughout the region. In 2014, we saw the start of the Bravehearted Youth Camp. Most of the teenagers that we have had at the camp have never heard the gospel, but we have seen much fruit and many souls saved through the camp alone. When the young people go back home, we work with a local church that can disciple them. Unfortunately, many villages have no church at all. Some of the young people have surrendered to full-time ministry. They have a desire to plant a church, but they need training. Over the next few years, we would like to see a leadership training school established, where we can train nationals in church planting, pioneer missions, and a trade of their choice. The goal is to equip Mongolians to be self-supported church planting missionaries in villages all over Mongolia, as well as Russia, China, and all of Asia. Pictured here are some of the nationals we have already begun training in church planting. Once a church is established, one of the greatest needs will be for printed literature. We already have two printing presses in Mongolia and are in the process of translating and printing the Word of God along with Sunday school material, songbooks, and tracts. We will supply these church plants with all the materials needed to share the gospel with their communities. As a new day dawns on the Mongolian steeps, questions arise of who will be the one to rise up and serve, rise up and support, rise up and send, and rise up and shout the Macedonian call. Just as the Macedonian call was cried aloud, so too today the Mongolian call, come over and help us, is beckoning. God has made this call very clear in our hearts, and I hope you will pray for us as we follow him. The command from God to each and every one of us is still to go and make disciples of all men. We are not lacking in the amount of work to be done, nor in the amount of laborers able to do the work, but we are rather lacking in the amount of hearts willing to go and to give of themselves to the work whereunto God has called us. Isaiah's answer was, Here am I, send me. The question now is, what will your answer be, as God is calling laborers into the harvest?
Great job, boys and girls, and thank you to all the workers putting that together. Wasn't that a blessing? Amen. All right. Well, if you can't smile today, then you really need to check yourself, I think. Been able to rejoice in the Lord as we've baptized three today and be able to rejoice as we see our children singing about the goodness of God. And let's take our Bibles now, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm so glad to be able to go back to this wonderful passage of Scripture as we're looking at this idea of faith in the famine. We go through times in our life of great famine and difficulty and that is nothing new. In fact, in this story in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were facing a great famine as a result of the sin of King Ahab and of the people of Israel. And so God sent them a famine. You say, well, how could a famine be good? Well, it doesn't feel good when you're living in a famine, does it? It doesn't feel good when you're going through difficult times in your life. It doesn't feel good when things aren't working out like you want them to. And yet famines can be good when they're from God because God is always good. And so as God brings His work together, sometimes He uses difficult circumstances and times of famine in our lives to be able to point us to Him. And in this story of Elijah, we started this several weeks ago, as God sent him, the prophet of God, to confront King Ahab. King Ahab was, as the Bible says, the king who caused more grief than any king prior than any king prior in the nation of Israel. He was more wicked than any king prior to him. And he brought great judgment on the nation of Israel. And so God sent Elijah to stand up before King Ahab and to say, King, it's not going to rain until I say so, according to the word of the Lord. And then God sent Elijah away to the brook Cherith. And I want you, as we quickly review this story so that we can catch up to chapter 18, where we'll be this morning, I want you to notice God's faithfulness to fulfill His plans. God was faithful to fulfill His plans through Elijah. Elijah obeyed God and gave the message about the coming famine. Then God told him to go to the brook Cherith. And there at the brook, as Elijah obeyed God... God fed Elijah with ravens, and he gave him water from the brook. But after he'd been there a while, he'd been walking in obedience to the Lord. God had provided for all of his needs. Then God allowed the brook to dry up. And we can look at things. I mean, if you're living in a situation like Elijah was, and you say, well, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm following God. I'm walking in obedience. I'm behaving the way I'm supposed to be. I'm a good Christian, right? People love to talk about how good of Christians they are, right? And I'm doing everything like I'm supposed to do. And God, you've provided for my needs. And now you've allowed the brook to dry up. Why would you do that, God? Well, God who is good in a famine is also good when the brook dries up. And Elijah was faithful to obey God because the word of the Lord came to him again and said, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, where he had a widow woman, one of the poorest women in the land, not even in the land of Israel, by the way. She lived in Zarephath, which, is, which was part of Phoenicia, which is where Jezebel had come from. Jezebel's dad, in fact, was the king of the land where the widow of Zarephath lived. And God sent Elijah to the widow of Zarephath to continue to provide for Elijah's needs. 
He went to Zarephath, he obeyed, and God used the widow to provide for him. And then, after he'd been there a while, a long while in fact, God came to Elijah one day. Once again, God's providing for all of his needs. God's taking care of him. He's getting through the famine. All right, God, we're going to make it through. And then God says, okay, it's time to go back to Ahab. And so Elijah obeyed God, and he went back to Ahab. When he got to Ahab, Ahab accused Elijah, and he said, you're the one that's been troubling Israel. Wouldn't you like that? It's you. You're the problem. And Elijah looked right back at Ahab and said, No, king, it's not my sin. It's because of your sin and the sins of the nation that God has brought this famine in the land. We learn some wonderful things about God as He works to fulfill His plans in the life of Elijah. These principles, I believe, are true for us as well today. And they're true not because we're like Elijah, but because we serve a God who does not change. And the God of Elijah is the God of, I hope He's your God today. We learn that God doesn't usually reveal all of His plan up front. Right? God didn't tell Elijah everything He was going to do. In fact, at this point, He still doesn't know everything that God is going to do. Rather, we see Elijah hearing from God and then being willing to walk step by step in obedience with the Lord. Don't be surprised when God doesn't reveal His whole plan for the rest of your life to you right now. I think the only time that happens is when, you, when, when, when the Lord's taking you home to heaven, right? And it's over and you say, okay, now I'm ready to be taken home to, be, to my eternal home. But up until that point, the Christian life is a step-by-step process. So when you feel like things are unclear, trust God and obey his word. The second thing we see about God from this story is that God provides step by step as you obey Him, step by step. Not only does God not reveal everything that He has for you all ahead of time, He generally doesn't provide it all ahead of time either. You know, some of us be like, God, you know, I think I could live on mm, maybe $10 million. That'd be a good number to start with. You know, I could at least get through a few years on that. God, if you would just give me all that right now, I'll put it in the bank, and, and then I'll just take care of my expenses. I mean, God, you have everything anyway. Why don't you just give it to me up front and then let me live? Well, the problem with that is if God did that, for most of us, we would stop living by faith immediately. We'd forget where that money came from, and we'd start spending it like it was ours. God wants to continually remind us that everything that we have comes from Him. And we don't get to spend it like it's ours. We get to steward it because it's His. And so God often provides step by step, just like He leads us step by step. I mean, I think of a missionary couple out raising funds to go to the mission field. Well, wouldn't it be better for missionaries if God just laid it all in a chunk for them? Well, evidently not, because that's not how God has chosen to do it. Because I believe God could if that's how God wanted to do it. But God has chosen to provide through missionary, for missionaries step by step as they trust the Lord and go place to place. Because that increases their faith. God was preparing Elijah for something special. And God is preparing you as well. And He's using you right now. That's another important thing to remember. Sometimes we think, well, Elijah's story wasn't great till he got to the top of Mount Carmel. No, it was great every step of the way as he walked in obedience with the Lord. And can I tell you that where you're at in your life right now 
If you're doing God's will, you are exactly where God wants you to be. And it is great because it is part of God's plan. And you may not see the great provision. You may not be seeing fire fall from heaven every day. You may not feel this great excitement. But I doubt it was that exciting sitting for weeks or months on end next to a brook waiting for birds to bring your lunch. After a few days, that probably got old. Sitting there in Zarephath waiting for the widow to make supper again. And it's the same meal and it's the same thing every time. Probably wasn't enjoyable after a while. It was a miracle at first. But often miracles become mundane when we live with them day by day. Just like the brook was a miracle and then God took it away. So the widow was a miracle. God took it away. And the things God has given to you in your life, everything comes from Him. It's all a miracle. But it becomes mundane to us as we live day by day. So God provides step by step as you obey step by step. The third thing I see that we learn about God as we see Him fulfilling His plans is that God often uses ordinary people and ordinary places to do extraordinary things. God didn't need somebody amazing to do His work. He used Elijah. He used a widow. He used some ravens. He used a, a cruise of oil and a barrel of meal. God didn't need spectacular places and spectacular resources because God is everything that we need. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of skill. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of energy, right? <laughs> Help me this morning. Okay, and what could God do? No, God uses faithful people who will serve Him. You say, well, I don't have the resources they have, or my life didn't run quite like that person's life. I didn't have all the privilege they did. And oh, don't we hear that in our society today as people are played off of one another and people blame one another for their background, their society, their situation. Listen, if God has given it to you, it's part of His plan for your life. And you can trust Him to provide step by step because God uses ordinary people and ordinary places to do extraordinary things. We also see that God is patient. But He will bring judgment in His time. God was patient even with Ahab. When you look at Ahab, you say, that guy didn't deserve any patience whatsoever. Mom, you can be patient with your child, not because they deserve it, but because God is patient with you. Man, you can be patient with your neighbor. You know, I drove into my driveway yesterday, and my neighbor had parked his lawnmower in the middle of my driveway, and I couldn't get into it. I'm glad I didn't go over and yell at my neighbor yesterday. Because there's a lot more important things in the world. A soul is a lot more important than a lawnmower. God is patient but He will bring His judgment in His time. I realize you, you're probably like me. You're looking around saying, why hasn't God done anything about this bad stuff going on? Why haven't all these things been solved yet? Why, why are we in the mess that we're in? God is long-suffering, the Bible tells us, because He's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. I'm so thankful that God was patient with me. He didn't have to wait around for me to trust Christ. He didn't have to wait around for you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. Can I encourage you with this thought? God has been patient. He's, he's allowed you to come to this day. Don't let another day go by without trusting in the Lord. Because God has not given us a guarantee that He will let His patience go on. Because at some point He will bring His judgment. Just like He brought His judgment on the nation of Israel. So we see that God is faithful to fulfill His plans. That was point number one, but it's almost an introduction because now we're getting into our text this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18. We've had to catch up on the story. I wanted to remind us of the character of God and think about who God is and what He's done for us and what we ought to do in response. And so now we've con we're continuing on the story here in 1 Kings 18. I want you to follow along with me beginning in verse number 20. The Bible says this, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then, then follow Him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. God is faithful to fulfill his plans. And we're going to see here in just a minute, God is faithful to send the fire. Sacrifice, we're getting there. But before we get there, I think it's very important for us to consider the question that Elijah asked of the children of Israel that day. Because I think the question that he asked them is the same question we need to ask ourselves this morning. And I want to ask you this. How long halt ye between two opinions? When are you going to make up your mind? He said, if the Lord be God, then serve Him. I believe we're in a day right now as things continue to go forward, and the Bible tells us it's going to get worse and worse. It's not getting better and better. We know that this world is going to pass away. We know that the Lord is coming back. We know that heaven is real and hell is real and that God has a plan and He's going to fulfill it. But God's not done with us yet because we're still here. So because of that, I believe now at any time is a great time for Christians to make up their mind whether God is God or He is not. Stop sitting on the fence spiritually and make up your mind. That's why he uses that language. How long halt ye between two opinions? The children of Israel couldn't make up their minds. Some days they said they were worshipers of Jehovah. 
Other days, they allowed the worship of Baal to go along, go on like it was no big deal. Hey, it's Jezebel. Oh, it's the king. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. But the people were not willing to make up their minds. And Elijah asked them, how long are you going to wait? How long? And I would ask you the same question this morning. How long? When are you going to make up your mind to serve God? When is it going to be long enough? What things are you going to have to go through? What difficulties are you going to have to suffer? How bad is this world going to have to get for you to make up your mind if God is God or He is not? Because if He is, then you must serve Him. But if Baal is God, then serve Him. Too many Christians today worship God on Sunday and worship something else the rest of the week. I know there's, this is one of the challenges of life, right? All the competing priorities, all of the different pieces of information that are bombarding us all the time, all of the different things pulling at us, responsibilities. God is very clear in His Word. We need to be willing to step back and look to the Lord. As Matthew 6 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, this doesn't mean that you should stop working. This doesn't mean that you don't have to clean your house anymore. This doesn't mean that I don't have to do my laundry. I just stink all the time. It doesn't matter. I get it. Life is busy. I've been saying this more and more as my kids get older. It's expensive to be alive, <laughs> especially to be alive with five children. I look at our budget and I say, well, God's blessed us financially. We should be rich by now. And I know we are in some, in some ways of looking at it. But then I look and I go, man. It, it all goes out. Shoes are expensive once they get beyond size 13. I stopped at size 13, but my children don't seem to want to stop there. Trevor wears the same size shoe I do right now, and he's 13. So you can't say act your age, not your shoe size, right, because it's the same thing. Shoes are expensive. Food is expensive. Man, food just keeps going up in price, doesn't it? Oh. I was talking to somebody the other day who's working in construction. They're like, man, lumber is expensive. I don't want to build anything. It's expensive. And so sometimes those priorities and those pressures of life start to pull at us, and, and we get our heads turned away. And we begin to pursue after good things, but we miss what God wants us to follow after. I imagine the children of Israel during this time were busy just trying to stay alive in the land. They didn't have much food. They didn't have much water. It was tough. Clearly, the political situation was not very good. Sound familiar? So the question is not, how are you going to fix the political process? How are you going to build a big business for your family? The question was, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then serve Him. But if Baal be God, then serve Him. 
as this story continues and this contest takes place, we have two sacrifices, one to Baal and one to Jehovah. The one to Baal takes place first. And I want you to notice as we continue through this passage because we see a great dichotomy, a great difference between the two types of worship going on. And I believe this is very important for us to take a few minutes to consider because the way we worship God is a reflection of how we view God or who we think God is. If you think that you can just worship God however and it doesn't matter, then you must think that God really doesn't care that much how you worship Him. And yet we would say, that's not what the Bible teaches. If you come to my worship class on Sunday nights, that's what we've been talking about. That God's Word tells us how He wants to be worshipped, that we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not just an outward show. It's got to be an inward change of heart and life that is worshiping God because He's holy, because He's righteous, because He's high and lifted up. But as they worship Baal, it looked very different. Notice with me, if you will, verse number 25. As we begin to see the differences between worshiping a false god and the true God. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for you are many, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them. They dressed it and called the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. It's amazing to me because these prophets don't question this. I mean, imagine if somebody said, all right, we're coming to your house for lunch. And, and uh, you say, well, we're going to grill steaks. Well, maybe you're like me. You're grilling hamburgers, hot dogs. Okay, let, let, let's be realistic, okay? You're coming over to my house, and I'm grilling hot dogs for you for lunch. And you say, that sounds great. All right, go ahead and build the fire. You can put the wood or the charcoal, whatever you use. But here's the thing. You can't put any fire on it. I mean, wouldn't you go, I mean, I realize that the hot dogs are already preserved, but... I don't really want to eat cold hot dogs for lunch. You know, they're rough enough as it is, so making them hot is what makes them taste good. You know, and that's, that's the only way to have a hot dog is if it's a nice cold hot dog. Nobody wants cold hot dogs, except the dog, I guess. That's about it. And yet these guys said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll build the altar and we'll call down. They, it's like they expected the fire to fall, and I wondered why this was. Well, as I was doing some research on Baal, this false god, I learned that Baal was a fertility god, the one that they thought was the one who sent rain. And along with rain, he was the god that would send storms with thunder and lightning. And so God was showing himself strong against Baal by sending a famine, but also God was going to show himself strong by sending fire and proving that Baal could not send fire. Because Baal, as the God who sent storms and thunder and lightning, should have been able to send fire if he was really God. Of course, you say, well, we know he's not God. Well, these people definitely acted like he was God. They went around doing things expecting Baal to send fire from heaven. And I wonder how many times, even winning their lives, doing things expecting an outcome that could only come from God, and then they're surprised when it doesn't happen. They're surprised when they spend their life living for themselves and then don't see God provide like they expect Him to provide. 
They, they spend their life with other priorities besides what God tells them to do, and then they're surprised when their children are not living like they want or their marriage is not like they would like it to be. Christian, we can fall into the same trap of falling after false gods and expecting a different outcome. I mean, we would look at these guys and say, they're crazy. Who builds a fire and doesn't light it and expects that they can cry out to hell and get their fire lit? I mean, had these guys ever had it lit before? Evidently not. Because Baal's not real. Now, they may have seen some lightning come down and strike a tree somewhere and start a fire. That's possible. But often, that's how people even live their life today. They saw something take place, some event, and then they come up with their own version away from God of how that event took place, and then they try to recreate that event over and over in their life and get frustrated when it doesn't work out. You can't live your life your own way apart from God and expect blessing and expect fulfillment. You can't do things the way you want to do them and see God work together to make it work out in a good way. You must do things God's way. That's why he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then serve Him. But if Baal be God, then serve Him. They build this altar, they don't question it, and they cry out saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any, that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Not only did they build this altar expecting fire to be sent, now they're leaping up on the altar. Remember where the fire was supposed to fall? On the altar. Like if this was the altar and the fire is supposed to fall here, this is the last place that I want to be. And yet they're leaping up on the altar as if to say... All right, here, send it on top of us. Doesn't make any sense. And then it came to pass at noon, this part's pretty funny, that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's talking, or he is pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. Hey, maybe he went on vacation. Uh, maybe he's talking with some friend. Maybe he's just taking a nap. Cry louder to wake him up. Now realize there's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the grove. There's 850 men here crying out to Baal. This is quite loud. I mean, 850 people all crying out, all jumping around. And the Bible even says here, Verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. In other words, they were used to cutting themselves to try to get their God's attention. This wasn't the first time they had done this. That's why it says after their manner. Part of their worship of Baal was self-mutilation. So why would anybody do that? Worship of false it always leaves us doing things that are harmful to ourselves. Now, I realize you may not be taking a knife and cutting yourself. But so many people today do all kinds of things to hurt themselves. 
and their family members can see it, their friends can see it, and say, why are you harming yourself? It's because they're following after something other than the true God. Or they're trying to find God, but not going to Him, to Jesus Christ, to find Him. They think, well, the path to God is through hurting myself. The, the path to God or dealing with my pain is, is through drugs or alcohol or something else that I put in my body. The, the path to God, getting to God, is some other way than through Jesus Christ. Can I remind you this morning, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't get to the Lord by just crying aloud or cutting yourself if you're not following after the one true God. You can't get to, the, to God through any other means, your own strength, your own money, your own works, whatever it is. You can only get to God through Jesus Christ. You see, uh, here we see the false God does not answer when you pray. The false God will take more than he will give. Look at these people. They're, they're mutilating themselves. They're making a fools of themselves. 850 of them on top of a mountain in front of a whole nation. Why? Because they're serving a false God. Now it's interesting because often idolatry comes out of a place of selfishness. Comes out of a desire to try to be in charge and I get to decide who God is and I'm going to do what I want to do. What's really sad about that kind of living is when you live selfishly, you really end up making a fool out of yourself and it ends up costing you a lot more than you think it will cost you. Somebody said it this way, sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. You think, well, it's just a, it's not a big deal. I mean, hey, it's my life. I'm going to do it. Sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. It will always take you further than you want to go. Well, I'm just going to do this a little bit. And sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. The false god will cause you to bring harm to yourself and to others. Parents, grandparents, children, teenagers, chasing after the ways of this world. Say, well, I'm not climbing up on an altar and calling for some false god to send down fire. If you haven't decided that God is God and you're not serving Him, you're either halting between two opinions, you're not doing anything for the Lord, or you're serving Baal. There, there's no other choice here. All this is going on. They've cried aloud. They've cut themselves. They've worshipped a false god in a false way. So finally, verse number 30, Elijah says to all the people, Come near unto me. Come in close. Can you imagine all that's going on over there? All that noise, all that crazy stuff they're just carrying on. There's the rest of God. Come, come near. Come over here. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. See, at one time they had worshipped Jehovah on top of Mount Carmel. 
the remains of the altar that had once been used to make sacrifice to the Almighty God were still there. And so he went and he began to repair this altar and pick up the stones. You can imagine what a wonderful object lesson this was to the people of Israel who would have known in their history, well, I'm of the tribe of you know, Reuben or I'm this tribe or that. They knew what tribe and they realized, as, as Elijah said it, that each stone represented one of the tribes of the nation of Israel. He says it here, And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. As he's building this altar there, he's reminding them who they were. You're from this tribe. That's this stone. You're from this tribe. That's this stone. God has taken all these tribes and put them together into one nation to the praise of His glory. God has called out for Himself a people to follow Him and to serve Him. He's taking them back to the worship of Jehovah. And He starts by reminding them of who God is and what God had done in the nation to bring them to that point. I think it's very important even for us today to take time and remind ourselves of who God is and what He has done. I get it. There's been some times even in the last few weeks in my own life, I, I've had something happen. I've gotten a phone call. Something has taken place. And I go, oh, this is bad. I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I, I don't know how to take the next step. I just feel completely stuck right now. The answer is always found in the Lord. We always have to go to Him. So I don't even know how to do that. I mean, I'm going to church. What does the Lord want me to do? I think one of the most helpful things is to step back for a second and say, wait a minute, what has God done to bring me to this point? Who is God? Wait a minute, He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac. He, he's the God who sent the ten plagues in, in Egypt so that the children of Israel could come out. He's the God who split the Red Sea so they walked through on dry ground. He's the God that sent water out of a rock. He's the God who sent manna from heaven. He's the God who sent the quail so that they could eat the flesh. He's the God that led them by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He's the God that caused the walls of Jericho to fall down flat. He's the God that helped them to defeat the giants in the land. He is God. Look at what He's done and look at who He is. And can I encourage you, Christian, this morning, when you get discouraged, when you feel stuck, when you feel like you're at that place, you're like, I know I should be serving God right now, but I'm not sure what to do. Step back and say, who is God and what has He done? Elijah's building the altar there with stones. As he sets it up, that God took all those tribes, those 12 stones, and He made a nation that would be His. And this altar, it says, He built an altar in the name of the Lord. All of these tribes together were to give glory to God. They were in the name of the Lord. You know, God has created you for His glory. Everything that He's done in your life is for your good and for His glory. 
1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou hast... Uh, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The children of Israel, God had assembled this nation to, for the glory of the Lord. So He builds this altar, and then the Bible says He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. He digs this trench. I can imagine the children of Israel looking and saying, What is He doing now? And it becomes very clear because then Elijah looks and he says, fill four barrels of water. So he gets the trench dug, he puts the wood and then the bullock and then he says, go get some water. Four barrels of water and pour them over the sacrifice. And of course, I'm sure you've heard this before. I've always thought about, wonder how far they had to go. Maybe some mountain stream. Maybe they had to go clear down the mountain to find water. We don't know but they had to go and get these four barrels of water and they dump it on the sacrifice. And then he says, do it again. So they do it again. And he says, do it a third time. <laughs> and he, they do it a third time. So now the sacrifice is soaked. The wood is soaked. The stones are dripping wet. And the Bible says that the water filled up the trench around the sacrifice. And it says in verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. We notice the true worship of God here is defined by Elijah being faithful to obey God's commands. God had told them how to build the altar and what it represented and what to do. So he was faithful to obey God's commands and Elijah was faithful to give God the glory. He said, I want everybody to know that you are God in Israel. You know, we baptized this morning. What was part of that testimony? For each of those individuals to be able to say, I want everybody to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ who washed away my sin. He paid a penalty for me that I could never pay except through my own death. And I couldn't have eternal life apart from Jesus. And so I want everybody to know I'm making a testimony to that fact that Jesus is my Savior. And Elijah, as he made the sacrifice that day, he wanted everybody to know in the nation of Israel. And you know, even for us today, as we talk about this and we rehearse what God did that day, we are reminded that the Lord is God. The true God tells His children how to worship Him. The true God is always ready to hear the prayers of His children. I'm so thankful for that. See, they cried and cried to Baal for hours. Baal never answered. God always answers. He just doesn't always answer the way that you want Him to. The wonderful thing is, God speaks to us through more than like the worshipers of Baal. The only way Baal, if he was alive, could have spoken was through doing those kind of acts. God speaks to us through His Word. I read something the other day, maybe you read it, I thought it was kind of funny, but 
I think it's true. Somebody said, I wish God would speak to me. They said, well, read your Bible. I wish God would speak to me out loud. Read your Bible out loud. <laughs> God speaks to us through His Word. God doesn't need to send fire to speak to us, but so many people sit around even owning a Bible, and here you have, you have no reason to not have a Bible. They're free online, even if you don't have a paper copy of the Bible. And if you don't come see me, I'll give you a Bible. I want you to have a Bible, okay? But if you have a Bible and you never read it, it does you no good. There are a lot of people who own a lot of Bibles and never read any of them. It doesn't do you any good. It's a blessing to know that God speaks to His children. And I just challenge you, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody here. If all we have time for is the verse of the day, maybe we need to reorder our priorities. I mean, I want to hear more from my wife than her one sentence of the day. She has a lot more to say than that. She needs to tell me about what's going on, and we need to talk and communicate. We have to have time. And if you don't have time with your Heavenly Father, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. You see, God wants to hear from His children. God wants to speak to His children. And can I say this too? The true God always gives more than He takes. always gives more than he takes. God says, give me your life and I'll give you eternal life. God says, trust and obey me and I'll supply all your needs. God says, trust in me and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God always gives way more than He takes because everything we have comes from God in the first place. It's not about me spending what's mine. It's about stewarding what's His. It's about taking care of it because God's given it all to us in the first place. See, our problem is that we have the wrong view of God. Your problem when you struggle with these things is you think somehow it's yours. And that God was mean to take it away. God wasn't mean when he allowed the brook to dry up. God wasn't mean when he sent Elijah to Zarephath. God wasn't mean when he sent him back to Ahab. God was fulfilling his plan. God is faithful to fulfill his plan. And he's faithful to send the fire. I want you to see it there. Because now the altar's built. The wood is in place. The bullock was cut. The water was poured over everything. Elijah prayed. And then look at verse 37. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. God sent the fire. And Elijah said to them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. God was faithful to fulfill his plan. He was faithful to send the fire. 
Now let's see finally and very quickly this morning, God is faithful to send the rain. See, God had just shown himself strong. He'd sent the fire. All the people said, yeah, the Lord's the God. And God could have said, all right, good. Got those people straightened out and left. But God still sent the rain. He didn't have to remove the famine. He could have said, well, I'm glad you're following me now, but let's just keep it famine for a while. But that's not who God is. He's kind and He's merciful and He's loving and He, he forgives. Isn't it wonderful that when you trust in God, He doesn't then say, okay, you've trusted me, now you need to go do all this stuff and then I'll accept you. No, the gospel says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you'll trust in me, I'll forgive you of all your sin. Yes, you serve me, but it's out of love and devotion because of what you've done for me. It's not serving to earn God's favor. It's serving because of God's favor. It's not serving to try to get God to love me more. It's serving Him because He loves me so much. God was faithful to send the rain. Elijah said to Ahab, get thee up and eat and drink. There's a sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. I said this in the first service, just crazy to me. Like Ahab, the whole time he just kind of goes along with whatever. He says, come to Mount Carmel. Okay, here we are. All right, I just killed all your prophets. Go have some food. Get a drink. It's about to rain. Okay. Like, I, I don't quite... All I can say is God is clearly in control. Even in wicked King Ahab, because you'd think that king, he'd be pushing back. No, okay, all right, I'm going to eat. Go get ready. I'm here in the rain. Get in your chariot. Okay, okay. He just does it all. So Elijah went to the top of Carmel and cast himself upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and, there is, and said, There is nothing. He said, go again, seven times. Elijah has full confidence God's going to provide. Go again. He said, go again. Nope, still not. Go back again. I'm still praying. Elijah knew that God was faithful to fulfill his promises. And so he prayed, trusting and expecting God to provide. But do you know how you're able to pray like that? is because you know God from His Word. Often we pray and say, well, God didn't provide. Get to know your God and you'll know better how to pray to Him. He went seven times and then God find, and then He said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And I love this because then Elijah says, Okay. He said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and get thee down. The rain stopped thee not. I mean, it was just a little tiny cloud. He goes, that's it. It's going to rain. And it does. It came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God is faithful, even in the famine. You see, the people of, of Israel saw God's power on display in the fire. When God sent the fire, they, wow, 
look at God. <coughs> Can I say this, though, that if they had taken time to consider, they could also have seen God's power on display in the famine. And they could see God's power on display in the rain. I think it would be so helpful for all of us. Maybe you should do this this afternoon. Take a piece of paper. Take out your phone. Take out your journal, wherever you write. And just say, you know what, Lord? This has been a crazy year. And it's not over yet. It could get crazier. Maybe even this week. Aren't you excited about this week? I can just feel the excitement in this crowd about just, oh, what, what, what are they going to do next? What are they going to say? What's going to happen? Well, I know what's going to happen with me. I'm loaded up. I'm ready to go. They can come. They can do it. You know, we, we got all this stuff going on. But I think a better way to prepare for this week. So I, I cleaned all my guns. They're all up. Let me give you a better way to prepare for this week. <laughs> Take some time and write down a list of things that God has done this year in your life. Take some time and write out some things that God has taught you from His Word this year. Take some time to remember the blessings of God. Because God's not just at work in the fire. He's at work in the famine. He's also in the rain. And life is going to bring all these circumstances. But God's in charge of the storm. He's in charge of the circumstances. And He can use famines to bring people to faith. I'm thankful for the people that have come to faith in God because of the unique situations caused by the coronavirus. We heard a testimony of that this last week as we were rejoicing in Champ's brother accepting Christ in Malaysia, who was led to Christ by his wife, and she trusted Christ watching our service online back in May on the other side of the world. Isn't that amazing? And if we would stop and consider some of those things that God has done, we say, well, God, I'm praying for you to do a work. God, here's what I'd like to see happen. I think that's perfectly fine to pray those requests to the Lord. But in that, say, God, prepare my heart for whatever comes. Because on Wednesday or Thursday or two months or two years or 20 years, whenever they figure out what happens in this election, that shouldn't change how we live as believers. God's not going to wake up Wednesday morning. Oh, well, the Great Commission, that's over now. Oh, we don't need to make disciples. No, nope, the wrong person's elected. Well, country's over. Let's pack it in. Now, I realize those things have consequences for us. And there'll be consequences no matter what happens. This is not like a cut and dry, black and white, easy situation. But the reality is for the believer, if we have the Lord, we have everything that we need. And Elijah, 
He had everything he needed when he was at the brook. He had everything he needed when he was with the widow. He had everything he needed when he was standing on top of Mount Carmel because he had God. Now, Elijah's not perfect. The answer is not be like Elijah. And if you want to know why, come next week. Because again, the answer is God. But it'll help you this week if you'll take some time today to remind yourself the goodness of God, His provision, His plan, His control, His power in your life. Say, well, my list's kind of short. Then just expand it out to your family. Expand it out to your friends. I mean, what a miracle that God brought you two together. I mean, coronavirus probably helped your dating relationship like slowed you down so you got time to speed that up. That's a blessing. This was a very hard thing that happened in our church just this week. I was got a call Friday evening from Julie Kloss and her husband Gail passed away. Gail's had a long battle with brain cancer and other health issues. I went over to her house yesterday afternoon, though, and she said, Pastor, I just was thinking it was a blessing that Gail and I got covid back in March. I said, why is that? She said, I couldn't go to work. So since March, I've just been able to be at home with him. She said, if it hadn't been for that, she goes, I'm such a workaholic. I wouldn't have been able to spend these months with him. I was blown away when she said that. What a statement to come from a lady who's just lost her life's partner for all these years. You see, God's good in the famines, He's good in the fire, and He's good in the rain. So it's time to make up your mind. Are you going to keep halting between, well, I do. What do I do? If the Lord is God, then serve Him. Father, help us. We love you. Thank you for your word. I don't know what this week will bring for my family, for this church, for our country. There's concern of riots. There's concern of how policies affect us. But Lord, may we all step back as Christians and realize <laughs> you as God are so much more powerful than any president or any policy that any person has ever even thought about putting into place. I'm thankful that you alone are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're even the God of gods. Any other God that even thought about being in existence has no power against you. Lord, you've even defeated Satan. You've even defeated death. And the Bible tells us that you will defeat Satan once and for all after you come again. I'm so thankful for your goodness, your provision, and your work in our lives and our church. Thankful for those who followed you in obedience today in baptism. Thankful for 
the Martins that are desiring to serve you in Mongolia. Thank you for their faithful testimony already to this point. Lord, thank you for the souls that have been saved this year, for the people that were saved in our church last year and the year before that. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do going forward because we know that the Holy Spirit is real and He's at work in our hearts. Your Word is powerful. It's quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, you're in charge and you deserve all glory and you sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. I pray that today we would rejoice in you. I pray that this week we would follow you, that you would give us the peace that passes all understanding as we give all of our requests and all of our struggles and all of our burdens to you because you are big enough. You're bigger than all things. You are God. May we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.